Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. I do like to build on sermons from week to week. It links in many ways to the idea that we're on a journey here, which is a synodal concept. Our discipleship isn't just from Sunday to Sunday, and it's a little unit that we park off in the church on a Sunday. Sometimes it seems dark and there doesn't seem to be any progress. And then sometimes it seems fantastic, easy, wonderful to be a disciple of Jesus. When we create either a series or a linkage between Sundays, I think people start to see this journey more clearly. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media in New York, and also associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we're joined by Brett Williams. Welcome to Preach, Brett. Thanks, Ricardo. It's great to be with you. It's good to hear another sort of South African accent. Yeah, it is. And it's good to hear your <laughs> accent again and that you haven't been corrupted by the New Yorkers. Uh, not yet, not yet, but in a few things. <laughs> Good. But before we get into it, let me introduce you for our audience. You're the pastor of St. Joseph in Durban. It's a Catholic parish in Durban, South Africa, where you are also the former chancellor of the Archdiocese of Durban and the former chairperson of the Archdiocesan Synod Committee. But you came to the priesthood quite late. Well, yeah, not too late. Don't age me beyond my years. I'm only reading what you told me, a late vocation. <laughs> yeah, I was ordained at 35, having worked in tertiary education here in South Africa for a couple of years beforehand. So yes, a slightly late vocation. But yeah, I seem to have done a lot in the 18 years I have been a priest. And I'm glad I made the change. <laughs> <laughs> And one other thing for our audience, which I didn't know about you, but you're an international cricket umpire? Yeah, I was. I was. For your American audiences, I suppose it's a foreign activity. But yeah, obviously in South Africa, it's a big sport. I did that for 20 odd years and I really, really loved it. But of course, it had to stop when I joined the seminary. I've never understood the game of cricket. But anyway, let's get into it. <laughs> You're preaching for the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A. That's right. Remind me of the readings. Okay, so the first reading is taken from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 5. It's that beautiful story of the vineyard. And it's taken up again by St. Matthew in the 21st chapter of his gospel. 
where he describes what happens to the vineyard when people don't listen to the messengers that the vineyard owner sends to them. Wonderful. And tell me about St. Joseph's. I've been there. It's a great parish, very engaged. Tell me more. Yeah. We're about the second oldest parish in the Archdiocese of Durban. So it's been around for a long time. Like so many parishes in South Africa, the demographics have changed enormously. But it's always been a very good, vibrant parish, good community sense. I've done a lot of work with Alpha International, the evangelizing tool that came out of HTB in London, and also with Father James Mallon's Divine Renovation. And those two tools, if you like, have helped us grow exponentially. And it truly is a, a vibrant, happy, busy parish. So yeah, it's been a wonderful journey, and I've been here nine years, and it's a great place to pastor. We'll certainly get into the whole parish rejuvenation program that you've gone into at St. Joseph. But before we get into all of that, I want to hear your homily. We will now hear Brett Williams's homily for the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, especially recorded for Preach. I don't really have green fingers. Most of the plants that I try to grow or care for end up dying, usually a slow, horrible death. So perhaps I'm not the best person to speak about growing grapes. The image of a vineyard in Jesus's parable would have been very familiar to the chief priests and the elders of the people. The prophet Isaiah had used the same image centuries before. If we read through some of Isaiah's writings, it becomes very clear to us that God chose Israel. He chose them as his own people out of all the many different nations of the world. And he chose them not because they had done anything to deserve it. They weren't particularly special. Another was their choosing meant to give them a position of authority, privilege, or status over the other nations. Instead, Israel's election came with responsibility, responsibility and obligation for all people, not just a privileged few. Israel was meant to mirror God to all the nations of the world. St. Matthew, in his gospel, uses Isaiah's story to explain to his community much the same. The privilege of being the people of God has expanded now beyond Israel. It is given to everyone, to every nation. All are welcome in the Lord's vineyard, and all have a role in making it grow and flourish. For us, modern followers of Jesus, the message of this parable remains pretty much the same. The vineyard has been entrusted to all of us, and we are called to work together, not only to care for the good news, the gospel, but to give it life, 
to help it grow and by the lives we lead, bear fruit. We, today, are meant to mirror God to our world. And so the question is, are we growing anything? Are we growing anything in our lives and in the life of this parish community? You will remember, I hope, I know Catholics haven't got the greatest memories, but I hope that you remember our synod consultation process that happened very nearly two years ago now. In that process, we identified five areas where we needed to continue to grow and make a difference. The first area was to develop a parish that worked in teams. And so this idea, which we found in Divine Renovation, of team leadership became very important for us. And we have focused on trying to grow that and develop that. The second area was a commitment to involve and encourage, support our young people, the youth and young adults of our parish community. The third area was to increase faith formation, particularly family faith formation. And so our gift program was developed. The fourth area was for us to create a greater sense of belonging, a sense of belonging to a community. And so we were challenged in our synod consultations to see how we could be more intentional, more intentional about inviting especially the hurt and marginalized into our community. And then the final area was that we needed to be a parish more focused on assisting the poor and the unemployed. And in South Africa at this time, those are two vital areas that we have a role to play in. And so now as the Synod gets underway in Rome this month, we are challenged to reflect on the progress we are making and to redouble our efforts to ensure that our discipleship does not become narrow, ritualistic, and lifeless. The prophet Isaiah would say, yielding wild grapes, bitter grapes most probably too. All the things we do here in our parish, daily mass, devotions, Bible study, Alpha, Vine Connect groups, leadership formation, Caritas and the feeding scheme, all these things are meant to help us to develop our sense of responsibility, responsibility for the kingdom and to grow our discipleship. Sometimes, however, we do ministry while forgetting why ministry is important, forgetting its purpose. All that we do should help us to build and nourish our relationship with God. All that we do should grow our discipleship. And all that we do should encourage a sense of co-responsibility, co-responsibility for the mission of the church. It is committed discipleship that mirrors Christ, that reflects Christ to the people we meet. And so to continue making this synod happening in Rome, our synod here in South Africa, 
we must ask each other. We must ask ourselves and we must ask God, can we commit? Can we each commit to making a real effort to do something? To do something about maybe just one of the five areas we identified two years ago. What area speaks to me the most? What do I feel most urgent, most important? Can I do something to take responsibility? Only when our discipleship becomes an affair of the heart and not of the lips will we be transformed. Will our lives be truly changed? As we've spoken many times before here in our parish, that is the goal of our baptism, transformed, changed, renewed lives. It is what happens when we get our hands dirty and grow our faith. That was Brett Williams for Preach. After the break, Brett shares how the practice of synodal listening, really listening to each other, has shaped his preaching. Welcome back to Preach. Wow, Brett, you've delivered a great homily, so thank you. It's a pleasure, absolute pleasure. I enjoy preaching very much, so when people ask me to preach, I don't usually shy away. I can hear it, I can see it, I share that joy. It's one of the great joys of doing this podcast is that I really enjoy what I do as well because mm. I love preaching. Now, the people won't see this, but when you submitted your homily, yeah. you submitted a pulpit plan. Yeah. <laughs> and I said to you, we're focusing this month on preach, on preaching for a more synodal church. Yeah. How do you preach for a more synodal church? What has your strategy been in terms of preaching to you know, bring about synodality? Obviously, we've seen it in action, but yeah. if you were to explain it, how does that happen? Well, you can blame pulpit plans on your fellow Jesuits because Father Mike Lewis taught me homiletics in the seminary many years ago, a great Jesuit here in South Africa. So the idea of having a structure is important for me. I need a structure. I very seldom preach from behind a pulpit, very seldom, most of the time. I will come down into the congregation. I feel more comfortable. And I, when I've got a congregation in front of me, I'm far more engaging and interactive. You know, I'll, I'll ask a question or, or make a, a joke. So I try not to create a sense of lecturing to or speaking down to. I'm much more comfortable, you know, at ground level with people. Obviously, you've been in this parish for a long time. That's clear. But how do you actually go about it from start to finish? Yeah, I do like to build on sermons from week to week to try and bring something from last week into the following week. So the idea of the 26th Sunday, which is the story of the two sons, one who says no, but then does it, and the other one who says yes, but doesn't do it. 
I've brought that in a little bit to the sermon. So about doing, not just speaking. And so that's always for me the starting point. What have I said last week? Where am I sort of going? I sort of have a big picture plan. So that's always a good starting point. Why is it important to build from week to week for you? Because I think it links in many ways to the idea that we're on a journey, hey, which is a synodal concept. We're on a journey. Our discipleship isn't just from Sunday to Sunday, and it's a little unit that we park off in the church on a Sunday. It's something that grows and develops. Sometimes it goes through troughs, and it seems dark, and there doesn't seem to be any progress. And then sometimes it seems fantastic, easy, wonderful to be a disciple of Jesus. And I think when we create either a series or a linkage between Sundays, I think people start to see this journey more clearly. It's not just Sunday in isolation. But also, I mean, not only do you link the readings and make those connections for the people, Mm. you've also linked their journey of faith, right? I mean, you've gone back to two years of the Synod, when the Synod was first announced. Correct. Talk us through how you think through a homily each time. And do you have a common structure? Do you mix it up? Yeah, I suppose I do have a common structure. I can do different things. I'm not scared of using a prop or playing a piece of music. You play the guitar? (laughs) No, no. (laughs) No, I don't inflict my singing on them. I usually, if I've got a song that I'd like them to hear, I play it, you know, over the sound system. So I'm not afraid to use props and bring in different things or people that I enjoy. I think we've got to be careful on how we use it, audiovisual and other things. And I don't do it all the time. But yeah, I think I've got a pretty good structure that I go to quite regularly. The first is to sort of break the ice, if you like, make people feel a little bit comfortable. I'm not a great joke person, so I don't tell jokes because I'm too stupid to remember jokes half the time. So that doesn't always work with me. So I usually tell a story. I usually sort of make fun of me more than anything just to break the ice. And then I always look at the gospel and the first reading. And I suppose most often my sermon will come from there. But I always try and relate it to what's happening now in our world. So this is what we've heard. This is what happened in the time of Jesus. What's happening with us now? Does it still speak to us Does this make sense to us? So I think that's always really important. And then nine times out of 10, we'll give homework, a task. Mm -hmm. This week, think of this, or um, like I did in the sermon, you know, what one thing can I commit to over the next month of the synod? What one thing can I do to make those areas that we identified come alive and be relevant and things. So I do try and leave with a challenge or homework. And certainly in this homily, I mean, that challenge was a very direct one. Can I take responsibility or do something, right? I mean, it ends with a question. Usually we start with a question or we ask questions in the middle. At least that's most of what I've heard and certainly most of what I do. But you've ended with a question. What's the impact of that? Yeah, I very often end the sermon with a, sometimes it can be a clear question. What is your choice? What are you going to do? You can do this or you can do this. What's it going to be for you? I think it's quite impactful. 
And I think it causes, well, I hope, <laughs> causes people to think. I hope that at least some of them are going, hmm, I wonder, and not thinking, what are we going to have for breakfast when we get home? And then I always have an extended period of silence after my homily. When I came to this parish, it was like a station, really. It took a while to get that. And now the people are quite used to extended periods of quiet and stillness where people don't move around. Tell us a little bit about the synod process in your community and how that featured in this homily. Yeah, I've, I'm really passionate about the synod, Ricardo. I wish I was going to be in Rome for this month. That also makes two of us. (laughs) No such luck. The Pope didn't uh, invite me. But for me, the Synod is a really important moment in the life of the church. It really struck me and continues to amaze me at the working of the Spirit that so much of what has been said in very distant parts of the world was said in my own parish. There is a real resonance in the world amongst Catholics, and so that tells me this is really important. In the Archdiocese of Durban, I led the diocesan team. I don't anymore because I was away for a bit on sabbatical. You were here in the U.S. I was in the U.S. in Chicago, yes. So the Archbishop replaced me. But I'm passionate about the Synod, and so my parish has been very involved. We've done all the processes and the consultations that we were asked to do, and I mention it frequently. So for my parish, I think there is a real sense of the importance of where God is leading, where the Spirit is leading us. And we learn that through prayer but also through God's word. So yeah, I think there's a very important connection that needs to be constantly made with that. How has this process changed your community? You know, Ricardo, I think it's just deepened what was already happening thanks to Alpha and Divine Renovation. Over the weeks of an Alpha program, you see how people journey together, how they learn from each other, how the Spirit is actively moving and accompanying this little group. And so we've been doing that for seven years now in our parish. And so in many ways, the listening groups and the openness to talking and sharing that the Synod asks of us was something that wasn't foreign to the people in my parish. And so they took to these listening groups like ducks to water, you know. And so what I found is it's deepened that process. Perhaps it's made it a little bit more intentional. And I think, although this is the real challenge, it's starting to seep through into how we conduct meetings and things. So I think that's what this synod process has done in the parish. It's taken it to another level. Thinking as a preacher now, you say it brought the people to preach the good news and the community to see the good news. Yeah. How does it change Father Brett Williams's preaching? So I've tried to have a preaching team. Divine Renovation produced a book called Preaching on Purpose. I'm not always faithful in it because, like Ricardo from New York, phones me up and says, oh, please preach, you know, tomorrow. It means that you can't always get the team functioning and working together, but it has helped me to get feedback. 
to listen to what others have said. And not just, are oh, you preached wonderfully, Father, you know, not that kind of feedback, but more critical. I listen to them. I hear them. So I'm not living in an ivory tower and preaching from on high. I know what the people are grappling with. Hey? And I know there were many priests who were, are anti the synod process. But you know, if they did nothing else, they should have had the consultation because it immediately helped you to understand where your people were at. You know, you say really listening. What does that mean? Like, give me a sense of that and how that's happened in your community, like a concrete example. Yeah, I think I can give you a couple, I suppose. But I think two recent ones really jump out at me. The first was we had a marriage enrichment evening. And they asked me to have what we call like an open forum, Theology Uncorked, where people come and just ask me questions about things and I try and answer them as best I can. And I was hiding in the kitchen, really, while they were doing most of the evening because, you know, what do I know about marriage? And the things that came out in their sharing and their presentations were just enormously powerful. And so when I came in to sort of answer questions, I mean, I said, guys, you know, you're the experts, not me. And so it wasn't them directing questions at Father Brett. It was us discussing together ideas and challenges of marriage. And you learning, right? And me learning, yeah, yeah. So that was one. And then just last Saturday, I had formation for the catechists in my parish. And they'd asked me to speak on prayer. And I had put something together. But when I walked in again, I was struck by this, hang on, how can I go in? Yeah, I could give a good talk on prayer, of course, I suppose. But how can I talk to them without knowing their situation? And their situation is so different from mine in, in many ways. And so it became also a sharing. Let's talk about the challenges you have in finding time to pray. Let's share what makes prayer difficult for you. Let's share what makes prayer come alive for you. And so instead of giving a talk, it was a sharing. And, and they were really, really grateful for the opportunity to speak and to share and for Father to listen rather than Father to speak. It also moves it from, you know, for you to for us. Like, you know, what makes prayer come alive for us? Like there's that shared experience of community where you find that actually Father really struggles with prayer, right? He can't get up and pray every day. Yeah, which is exactly what I said. I said, you know, I've got all the wonderful opportunities to pray, and I don't have to run around with children and deal with traffic and all those other things that you have to deal with, but I sometimes find it tough. And so it was a really mutually enriching time. And so those two are very recent examples that I can give you. And those things have definitely enriched my preaching. They have definitely helped me to be more real, I suppose, more relevant. Yeah, thank you. It's so important to hear that because in my very short time as a priest, the thing that I most hear from people in terms of feedback, in terms of what they like from my homilies, is when I'm able to share something that they connect with. They're like, 
oh yeah, you struggle with that? No, surely you can't struggle with that. I'm like, yeah, I do. (laughs) And when they realize that, it makes me more human. I connect with them, they connect with me. And it's just this beautiful moment where we are preaching the good news to each other. As this conversation has been, a real preaching of the good news, certainly it's lifted me up. Thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure. And it's always good to chat to you too. So thanks for having me on to talk. It's good. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for Brett's homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Kevin Christopher Robles and Michael O'Brien offered production assistance. Frank Tewson is our audio engineer and also designed the theme score and composed original music for Preach. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. And we recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio in New York City. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for this podcast, just like Father Brett, we'd love to hear from you. So please just click the link in the show notes. You can also follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. And before you go, did you know that American media can deliver new scripture reflections to your inbox every day? If you're already a digital subscriber, they're probably in your inbox. If not, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. Just visit the link in the show notes. And just to remind you again, please go out and purchase Father Jim Martin's book, Come Forth, published by HarperOne and available wherever books, eBooks, and audiobooks are sold. For America Media, I'm Ricardo De Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into Scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.